Ready to take on a leadership role at your workplace? With an online master's in organizational leadership from Gonzaga University, you'll become a leader who inspires, builds teams, and affects positive change. Visit gonzaga.edu slash lead. by any of the 108 Atlanta-area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome, Cyclone fans, to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. After one week without a podcast, we're back with a guest. Uh, Alex Halstead from 247 Sports is here to discuss a little football recruiting tonight. Uh, we wanted to bring him in uh, for the first time in ever, a uh, December football signing period uh, for the Iowa State Cyclones and, and Division One college football. So we'll discuss that here in just a little bit, uh, discuss uh, his book, possibly, if you're looking for a stocking stuffer out there, uh, he co-authored 100 Things Iowa State Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die with Dylan Muntz uh, last year. That's a great idea. I, I know it was in my stocking last year. It's a good read. It's something that if you're looking for a last-minute gift for any of those Cyclone fans out there, it's something that, that you can pick up. So at this point, Alex, uh, I want to bring you in, and, and I'm, I'm just going to start by saying how weird is it to be getting ready for uh, a signing day in the middle of December compared to uh, that first Wednesday in February. Yeah, it's been uh, a really weird cycle. I guess before I dive in, thanks for having me and thanks for the little book plug. It's kind of crazy. It's been almost, two, I think, two years now since that came out, but you know, hopefully people who've gotten it have enjoyed it. It's, it's a shorter section, so even people who don't like to read a lot should hopefully be able to get through it. But, um, yeah, I guess to go into the, the early signing period, it, it's been weird because – you know, this time of year, you're normally getting ready for a few JUCOs to sign. Maybe you have a high school early signee, uh, an early enrollee. And so you're kind of getting ready for a handful or less kids to sign. And uh, then J- January really picks up with a ton of official visit weekends. And this year has been weird because Iowa State's just about done. They do have a few spots left. But the last few weekends uh, haven't been major recruiting weekends because they're kind of just putting the finishing touches on it. And uh, I think – Coaches around the country, recruiting writers and analysts are kind of all learning how this is going to work for the first time. You know, how many of these kids will sign? And then when this signing period's over, what's January going to be like? What's the fight for those final kids going to be like? And what are staffs going to do? I think Iowa State's plan is probably going to be to start working on the next class, 2019, 2020, because they work so far in advance. So it's going to be a weird year just, I think, for everybody. But uh, I think it adds a little bit to it, too. It's going to be a little interesting to see how things go down in the next week. Do you think it'll take a little bit of the, uh, the luster off the February signing day, or will there still be the, uh, the big fish that are making their announcements on, on signing day and all the hoopla centered around that uh, day in, yeah, think, in early February? Yeah, I think it'll change a little bit. Um, some of it, that hoopla that you mentioned will just move up. You know, there's going to be kids – I know some major targets, not necessarily for Iowa State, but major prospects out there that are going to announce on December 22nd, the last day of this early period. It's going to run through December 20th through the 22nd. So there's three days there, and some kids are going to announce on the 20th. Some are going to wait to the 22nd. So you're going to still have some of that that big fanfare, but it's just going to be in December. 
But then you're also going to have kids that are going to wait until February, um, whether it's because of some of this coaching changes where schools say, hey, wait off, and, and we still want to recruit you in January. I think you'll have kids wait. And the interesting thing to me is I think a lot of kids are still in that mindset of, you know, national signing date has been a big deal. It's February 7th um, in this cycle. And so February 7th, you know, the past has been like February 1st or 2nd. That's a big day for kids. And so there's these ceremonies, and I think that's always been a, a big monument for some kids. Some kids don't really care about it, but some do. And, you know, when I talked to some Iowa State commits even, they were kind of – there were a couple uh, of the 18 that they have committed that were kind of unaware of even this December 20th thing. I mean, I think they probably knew it was happening, but, you know, one of them told me, oh, I'm going to sign with my teammates and do that in February. And I think so – some of it is you've got to get some of these kids into the mindset that there is this new early period and, even maybe you want to do a ceremony in February, but sign schools want them to sign now. So maybe they can sign next week and then still do their ceremony in uh, February. So I think that's definitely an interesting little wrinkle to it is how many kids do decide to sign in December and how many want to kind of keep with the traditional way and do it on this big national sign day where you've got this, you know, in the past kids have done them on TV and stuff like that. So maybe once this happens for a few cycles and assuming that they keep the early signing period around, I, I think, you know, we'll see how it goes this first year and what they think, what coaches think of it. But, you know, maybe once kids get used to it, this will just become the norm where December 20th or whatever that, that Wednesday is in December, kids will say that's the big day that they want to sign. But this year is definitely interesting because kids are kind of all over the place with what they want to do. When it was announced that, you'd be able to the, the early signing period in December uh, was kind of chalked up as a big win for programs like Iowa state that are uh, competing for some of the same recruits. And before uh, some of the blue bloods of college football have to go back uh, on some, you know, they might miss on a top recruit or a blue chip recruit. And now they start to uh, get their hands into the recruits uh, that are more along the lines of what Iowa state's accustomed to getting. Um, is it is it as big of a deal for for Iowa State? Is it a huge advantage for for teams like that, or is it uh, maybe not as big a deal as people are originally making it out to be? I do think it's a, a big deal for the reason you said, where you know Iowa State expects pretty much all their kids to sign, all their commits to sign, you know, between that December twentieth and December twenty second period, and like you said, you know, there are years where there are schools that like some of these other kids, you know, major programs that like some of these kids, and if they didn't sign, say, in December and they did get to January and, and some of those other schools, maybe it's a home state school, maybe it's schools like that, you just have to worry about extra official visits. And even if they don't flip, you just maybe they take two more visits and you got to kind of follow them through a couple of weeks. And then also the, the fact of maybe new schools come in. You know, last year we saw that it didn't end up affecting Iowa State, but Charlie Kohler, um, the Oklahoma tight end that – is at Iowa State, well, a few days before signing day last year, Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State offer him. You know, his brother's a quarterback there. He's from Oklahoma. And that made Iowa State pretty nervous, you know, to have that offer go out. And he stuck with Iowa State because of relationships and um, the engineering program. But those are the type of situations where in those final weeks, schools, you know, they do have all their – they do have a board. And if they don't get a couple guys or if they lose a couple guys, they might go after other schools' guys. And so – um, we saw that with Charlie Kohler and Iowa State ended up, you know, keeping him. But it, I think this early signing period kind of eliminates that because 
or at least speeds up the process of it because, you know, had Charlie Corder signed last December with Iowa State, that they wouldn't have gotten to that point. I think the interesting part is now schools have to decide they got to decide now or they have to decide, you know, late November if they want to go after other schools' commits because the process is so sped up. Um, so it, it is, I think, a positive for Iowa State from that regard. Um, not that they can't beat those type of schools. They, they've beaten, you know, the TCUs and the Oregons and even Oklahoma last year for various JUCO guys and various high school guys, but it just takes out the, the work of it. Uh, I know one thing Matt Campbell has liked about this period is so in the contact period that runs from December or the end of the season through the normal signing day um, in February, you get six visits with the kid. The assistant coaches can go in uh, six times. The head coach can only go in once with them. Well, now that kids are deciding, signing in December, you don't have to keep kind of following them around for three weeks in January. And so it really helps you move on to the next class rather than I think – I don't know if Matt Campbell's used the word, but some have used the word babysit. You know, you don't have to go in every week to see a kid when they're already very locked into your program. So I think it does help Iowa State from a few different angles. Um, maybe there are drawbacks for schools, too. You might, might fill up fast, and maybe you don't have room in January to add a kid that's still out there. But I think more, so, more than anything, it's probably positive. But it'll be interesting to ask Campbell what he thought about this first year of it uh, after he signs his first class dealing with it. One of the drawbacks that, to me, it, it seems like for a high school kid is you mentioned that January, that month of January being a big official visit month. I know they li- like to bring them in for uh, a basketball game and, and things like that before that traditional signing day. Now if they're planning on, on signing in December, that little amount of time between the end of their season and the signing day, uh Iowa State may or may not have some home games uh, to bring them to. This year they played their last two uh, on the road, and so they wouldn't have had a, a home game to bring them to for an official visit. Sometimes kids might not want to visit during their, their high school season too. So is this kind of pushing up the official visit uh, calendar, if you will? Are they having to get in in the summer or you know, in a, further in advance than maybe they have been in the past? Yeah, I think that's that's one way we'll see the 2019 class be the true class that or the early signing period makes a little more sense. You know, this class couldn't take officials until the start of their senior seasons. Well, next year, 2019 recruits can start visiting. I think it's going to be in April, in the spring. And so you can start taking official visits in the spring. Obviously, you can always take the unofficial visits, but you can start taking official visits if, next year if you're a 2019 prospect in the spring. And so – then I think it helps that because, like you said, yeah, the calendar does get moved up because, you know, you got to – obviously it will still probably have a few official visitors in January if they have a spot or two open because, you know, the kids that are still available and the kids they still want to fill those final spots, they can bring them in. But you're not going to have those huge recruiting weekends if you do play a big basketball game or anything like that because, like you said, the, the process gets moved up where they've just done that in in uh, December and they brought in kids for games. So – it is definitely – that's one of the, I think, maybe the drawbacks is you got to – especially this year, you just kind of had a finagle when do you bring kids in and try to make sure that they visited before um, that December 20th date. And, you know, if kids didn't take official visits early, then you're really fighting for them to hear down the stretch too because, um, you know, maybe if a kid goes into December and has to take visits, well, he's only got three weekends to do it. So – I think that's been an interesting part, but I think that will kind of maybe sort itself out 
in the 2019 class when kids can start visiting, taking official visits earlier. I've talked to, you know, some of Iowa State's 2019 targets who say, you know, they want to decide in the spring and they might take their official visits in the spring and be done with it. So that that might sort itself out next year. But this year is definitely weird because, you know, some of those kids were taking visits here at the end because a lot of them can't take them in season. Obviously, the the goal of any college football team is to to play in the postseason. One drawback of that, or one maybe advantage of of not participating, getting those extra practices and preparing for a bowl, is that you can focus 100% on recruiting, which is what Matt Campbell and his staff were able to do last off season. So, how are they balancing, or the you know the getting ready for Memphis and, and the Liberty Bowl versus? recruiting they they can't focus 100 percent on one or the other i know they're used to kind of running all over the place uh and and seemingly it seems according to twitter being in about 84 different places at once but how does the coaching staff handle that preparing the team that they already have in the month of december versus trying to get ready for uh a, a very meaningful bowl game for this program yeah if this was like their first class in 2016 and they you know if if they arrived and they had a coach of bull that that month, that would have been probably impossible because it took them, you know, they had about 60 days for their first recruiting class to get 25 guys or so is what it ended up being. So that one was probably the most hectic recruiting cycle they'll ever go through and most hectic one I've ever, you know, dealt with. But this year I think they're a little bit lucky because I try to think, you know, coming out of the season they probably had 15 or 16 commits and so they didn't – and it's a small class. It's probably going to only end up at about 22. And so they didn't have a lot of work to do. A lot of their work was housekeeping, so to speak, where they're making sure they keep their commits, go see their commits, and then try to finish on the final pieces. And now they're up to 18 commits, and still that means less than five left probably. So, you know, that's one thing I think they got lucky in is they did a lot of this work in – it didn't happen like in a big bunch, but, you know, really from the last day or so of February when they got their first commit and Will McDonald up through the season, they kind of got a few here, a few there, did a little bit in season, and then just left a little bit for after the season. I think that helps with the bowl game. But the way they've handled it, um, so you get 15 bowl practices, and a good chunk of those, probably about six or seven, will be kind of a normal week prep when they get to bowl week. But what they've done for these first three weeks, uh, finishing with this weekend, is they've practiced on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so what they've been doing in talking to recruits and kind of – it's kind of a puzzle. Talk to all the recruits you can and figure out which coaches are coming in which day and then kind of piece it together. They've mostly been out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. They come back on Fridays for practice and then official visit weekends. And so it's just kind of been – you know for the – this is the third week that they can be out. It's kind of just been a, a kind of the same cycle. You know, they'll they'll be out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Some will be out Friday, but normally it's closer, like in the Midwest, whether that's Illinois or Wisconsin or Iowa or Nebraska. They'll go back to Ames, coach. It, you know, the practices each of those days while also having recruits in town and and that sort of thing. I think they've actually liked it from the standpoint of you know they can't talk about recruiting publicly, but in terms of names and stuff, but Matt Campbell has said, or maybe it was Tom Manning said in one interview that it's, it's great to obviously be in a bowl just for the development of your program, for the fans to go to a bowl. But when you can bring in recruits to bowl practices, 
that's probably the best recruiting tool because you're, they can still see you coach and that sort of thing. You know, I think just got a commitment from a 2019 prospect, uh, Jake Remsburg from West Des Moines, and he was at the bull practice Sunday and he got to watch Tom Manning coach. And he said it was the same stuff that Manning did with him at camp this summer. That's what kind of put him over the top is that what they were telling him is what they were doing. So I think it is a lot more work to have to juggle them both. But I think the bull practice actually is a big recruiting tool because you're preparing for a bowl. Kids get to see practices, which is a little bit different than what an official visit weekend's like if, if you're not in a bowl. And then, you know, on top of that, I think you just get to bring in – you have more opportunities to bring kids in. You know, Sunday they brought in a ton of 2019 and 2020 visitors, which maybe you would normally do later for a basketball game. This year they got to do it in December because they could bring them in for some kind of event. So talking specifically about the, the 2018 class, uh, how many of these guys are we, can we expect to maybe see on the field next year? Or are we getting to a point where uh, in year three under Matt Campbell that it's going to be more likely that most of these guys are going to redshirt? Well, I think, you know, this staff is more so than, you know, some you see are definitely very willing if a kid shows that they can play, that they're they're not – necessarily like we got to register this number of people. And so I think more than anybody else, they definitely give opportunity. Um, I think, you know, looking at the list, there's a chunk, you know, when you look at the defensive linemen or the offensive linemen, they're probably going to, they're probably going to redshirt, you know, to build your Matt Campbell's never not registered an offensive lineman. Uh, obviously at Iowa State so far, I know he's gotten close a couple of times, whether that was Sean Foster, maybe being an injury away last season from having to play, or this year there were a couple of guys at times where, you know, they mentioned maybe they're an injury way, whether that was Jacob Bolton or Robert Hudson. So they've been close, but they've never not registered an offensive lineman. So the expectation would be that, you know, those offensive linemen and I think the two defensive linemen they have in this class would probably uh, register. But, you know, I think to me, maybe the most important commit in this class is Greg Eisworth, uh, the, the Juco safety from Trinity Valley Community College. Just when you think about most important to the 2018 season. You know, they lose Kamari Moya, Everett Edwards, Reggie Wilkerson. They're three starting safeties. And so Eisworth is a, obviously an early signee, but also an early enrollee. will go through spring ball. I think he's one that you for sure would think would probably play immediately and is going to have a chance to earn a starting job. And so a guy like that, I think, could play early. You never know about some of the receivers. Um, they do lose Trevor Ryan. Carson Schlecker is a, a slot receiver that, is shifty, and if he kind of shows his ability, uh, I think you never know. And then the other position that they seem to use some guys early is defensive backs. Um, you know, we saw Keontae Jones and Robert Bowens get a little bit of play this year, and, you know, they do have some good defensive backs. You know, some of their higher-rated guys in the top half of this class are defensive backs. You know, J.J. Morton's one of their top guys, and, um, you know, a couple of these guys have some good size. So I think that's always a possi- possibility. But I think – yeah, you, you probably hit the nail on the head a little bit too that while they're open to playing these guys young, the fact that this team is already young and they're finally to the point where they are getting more depth, you know, maybe it will become harder. You know, there, we didn't see as many true freshmen play this year as we did the year before, and I think the year before had a little bit more skill position um, type of players, you know, like a David Montgomery and DeSante Jones that they had opportunities to play right away. Um, I don't know if that will be quite the case this year, but I think there will probably be, you know, maybe three or four that still could end up playing this next year. 
Two of those are uh, specialists, Braden Narvison and, and Corey Dunn, a, a kicker and a punter coming in. Uh, certainly they, they'll have every op- opportunity to uh, get some time. Uh, Corey, Corey Dunn, how old is Corey Dunn? The picture on, on 247 makes it look like he's like 45. Is he, what's, what's his story? He's from Australia, is that right? Yeah, another an interesting player. and uh, Yeah, I, I, I tried to find a different picture just because uh, that's that's the one from his JUCO site, and he does look older than he actually is. I, I think I've heard he's right, right around 24. Uh, similar story to Matt Leo in terms of age, you know, where he was over in Australia, and I think he was actually a rugby kicker or a rugby player, and, you know, went to uh, City College of San Francisco, punted last year, was a really good punter, and Iowa State, you know, obviously needs a punter. Uh, they liked what he what he did, and uh, I'm sure Iowa State fans would love for him to be like Texas's Australian punter who just boomed them this year. Um, I, I don't know quite what he's like. I've, I've heard he's a good punter, and the interesting thing with his, him is uh, he's got three years to play three. He redshirted this year so that when he gets to Iowa State, he has three years. And so um, you're right. I kind of didn't think about it in that terms. I'd probably maybe up my um, players from this class being able to play right away if – that would have included two specialists. Um, obviously, both of those guys will will play the next year, barring a surprise. You know, Braden Narvison comes in as one of the better kickers in the country out of high school, and he's got a really strong leg. I think he hit a 56-yarder this year. And uh, Obviously, uh, with a young guy, he just continued to uh, build consistency. But both of those guys would be expected um, to, to play right away next year. You had Greg Eisworth, and you're probably already up to three. So, um so I think, yeah, definitely a good chance to see at least a handful of these guys get on the field next year. One guy that Iowa State fans are kind of trying to determine on whether whether Iowa State missed on it or whether Iowa State cooled or, or what the story was, um, was someone from their backyard, John Wagner, who committed uh, to that team out east uh, and Kirk Ferentz the other, the other week. What's the, what's the story with, with Wagner? Uh, I've heard I've heard multiple rumors of Iowa State cooling on him. To uh, you know, he always wanted to be uh, a Hawkeye. He he was waiting for some bigger offers that it doesn't sound like they ever came. Uh, is this a case where if he wanted to commit to Iowa State, uh, Matt Campbell and company would have accepted his commitment? Well, Iowa State got into a position where you know this class is going to be small, so I think this class probably ends up. To, and if it goes over, I think it would include some sort of gray shirt or, or something like that. But I, I think it's going to end up around 22. And you know, right now they're at 18, and they've got they lose two defensive linemen. They lose Vernell Trent and J.D. Wagner. Vernell Trent's kind of been replaced with Isaiah Lee, the defensive tackle in this class, and uh, J.D. Wagner's kind of been replaced numbers-wise uh, with Will McDonald, the defensive end in this class. And so there was a point where they, I thought they would take three defensive linemen, and I thought that that third one would be probably be a JUCO. Um, later in the season, it, it kind of became clear they weren't going to go after a JUCO defensive lineman, and a couple of those targets, they end up not having a uh, visit. With Wagner, it just kind of became a tricky situation. Obviously, when you look at his offer list, there are the Ohio States on there, um, you know, Nebraska and Penn State, and a lot of those schools filled up. They didn't have room. And that's kind of the situation he faced, and I think it's pretty publicly out there that even Iowa at one point had told them they didn't have room. So Iowa and Iowa State, neither of them had room for Wagner. Iowa, in the last week or so before he committed to Iowa, decided to make room. They they figured out I don't know I don't know what their roster situation is, but they actually have a smaller class than Iowa State. 
they made room for him and, and he committed there. I don't know if Iowa State was going to be able to make room for him. When you look at what they're actually doing right now, they're going after a defensive end from North Scott, uh, Zach Peterson, a kid that just blew up late in this process, uh, an in-state kid that in November got offers from Kansas State and Illinois. And then last week, Iowa State offered Wednesday, Nebraska offered Thursday, and Iowa offered Friday. And so he's got five power five offers pretty quickly. Well, Iowa State doesn't really have room. And so as of right now, I think their offer to him is a gray shirt. And so that kind of puts the scholarship a semester back. So they're, they're, they want him, and Matt Campbell will go see him wrestle here before the early signing period. But the, the, the room just isn't there. And I think that's actually one thing with this early signing period, to go back to the beginning of this conversation, is when you're taking guys so early because you got to get this class, try to get this class put together, some kids don't realize, and this isn't the case with Peterson because he blew a plate, but some kids aren't realizing, like, they gotta, you got to start making decisions because schools are going to fill up at positions. And that's kind of what I think happened in some ways with Wagner was schools were filling up. And unless you're a, a very, very game-changing prospect, it's hard for some schools to make room in their class for you. One more specific uh, recruit. This one hasn't committed yet. Uh, Max Duggan, or maybe it's Duggan. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name from Council Bluffs, Lewis Central, uh, a four-star quarterback, which has been kind of rare for the for the state of Iowa to have such a big uh, prized quarterback recruit in this state. Originally started, you know, offers with Iowa, Iowa State, uh, along those lines. Nebraska was offering him, and then and kind of recently, you know, he's collected offers from Penn State, and then the one that I think made everyone's jaw hit the floor the other day was Ohio State offering him. Iowa State's not used to uh, necessarily recruiting directly against uh, Ohio State. Is this a situation where his offer list and the amount of opportunities he has has kind of put Iowa State out of the running, or is uh, Matt Campbell and company still still in the business and uh, still you know in the game for, for Max? Yeah, so that Ohio State offer definitely, I think, I don't know if it, I, if I raise eyebrows more, I think people are already kind of surprised. Not su- surprised because you know he's a top two forty seven player and one of the best one of the best recruits that's probably come along in the state of Iowa in, in quite a long time. And um, so we already knew he was a good player and um, really good kid. And talking to him, dad's a coach and, and all that. But uh, yeah, I think when you get Ohio State and when those offers just keep coming in, you know, it's like last couple of weeks he's just Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, and. Ohio State have offered, just adding on to the already long list, you know, that it takes them over a dozen Power 5 offers. And a 2019 prospect, so we still got some time to go, but, you know, he's just blowing up. And I actually, you know, some people asked me about this one today because, you know, it is, at some point, you know, some of these recruitments just get crazy, you know, when they have all these offers and some of them, these blue bloods. This is one I actually think Iowa State can stick in until the end. Um, you know, they've got some really good relationships with him. Uh, Iowa offered first. Iowa State offered shortly after, um, way back in the winter. And so they've been on him for quite a while. They've had a good relationship with him. He's been to games. He's been to junior days. Uh, he visited in the summer. So they've they've got good relationships with him. Uh, I've talked to him just recently, and Matt Campbell talks to him every single week. Um, Jim Hoffer, the quarterback's coach. Uh, Alex Goish, Tom Manning, you know, all their coaches are texting him all the time. And an interesting connection, and I don't think this is going to make his decision, but uh, is Jake Waters. His dad coached Jake Waters 
in high school before he went to Iowa Western and then Kansas State. Uh, Max Duggan, um, yeah, it is Duggan. I actually, I was trying to figure out that out the other day if it was Duggan or Dugan, and I found out it was Duggan. So, um, back on track, I guess is he was the water boy for Jake Waters' teams in high school. So, um, he talks to Jake, obviously the the graduate assistant, off, offensive graduate assistant for Iowa State. He told me he talks to him all the time, not even just about football, but just about you know how things are going and advice and things like that. And so the relationships are there, and that's kind of a big part. He likes Iowa State's system. He's kind of that type of player. You know, he'll run a little bit, but he's got a really good arm. And so this is one I actually do think Iowa State can stick it until the end. You know, a few weeks ago I would have told you I think it'll be a battle between Iowa State and Nebraska. Um, once you see Ohio State come in, probably figure more schools are going to come in. It's hard to really predict now, you know, who's going to be in it. But I do think Iowa State can stick in it. And uh, Max told me that his situation is he first wanted to get through this coaching carousel. He wanted to get through the coaching changes. Uh, one of the big things was Matt Campbell signing an extension, him knowing that – not an extension, but a new contract, him knowing that Campbell will be at Iowa State. I got the sense he wanted to see who Nebraska would hire. And then he's going to go into the spring – take visits and he said ideally he'll decide in the spring so that's the positive is that you know Iowa State should know in the spring and that they can go either way that it goes but that would be a, a major get for certainly the biggest get since Alan Lazard and he, depending where he kind of ends up I think you can make the case even bigger just for the fact that a quarterback can completely change a program a quarterback of that caliber and Iowa State will keep pushing for him until the end. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, Alex, to kind of fill us in on this new uh, December recruiting period and, and where the coaches are with getting prepped for a bowl game and, and kind of some of their targets and things like that. Uh, if, if our listeners want to dig in a little deeper and, and read some more of your stuff and kind of keep along, I know you're, you're posting nuggets uh, daily on, on your board. Where, where can they find your work? Yeah, so it's it's on 247sports.com, but I guess the easier way to get to the actual Iowa State portion is uh, the URL, uh, cyclonealert.com, and that'll just take you to the main page where the stuff is. And some of it's premium. You know, some of the VIP, there's some stuff that's VIP that um, you have to be a member to read it, things like the where the coaches are every day or little notes about, you know, how are recruitment's changing. You know, there's a kid today that just – schedule his final visit. I was going to go see him tomorrow, you know, how that's going down the stretch. But uh, I actually try to make a decent amount free too, because I know some people are just kind of fringe type people. Plus I think, you know, if they're ever going to become a member, they kind of have to see what it is. So, you know, there's some stuff that's free, you know, a lot of the recruiting updates and the stories are still free. So you kind of get a mix. So it's not, it's not all just premium. So people can kind of read a little bit of everything and be interesting here. I think, you know, Obviously, the, the class is mostly done, but they're already starting on 2019 with not only their first commit, but their January they're going to spend on that. And then I think, uh, you know, once they get down to the high school portion, I think there will be a couple, you know, grad transfer type players out there, uh, maybe on the offensive line and that sort of thing. So recruiting never really stops. And even with this early signing period, I think we'll st- still see some action for Iowa State in, in January before the, the next actual normal period. Well, let's hope if they do uh, get a few grad transfer alignment <laughs> that they can uh, they can at least see some of them suit up for, for Iowa State the next year. I think they're, what, 0, 0 for 3 in their last two off seasons between Catalina and then the 
the Rogers and the and the Dawson, they all had committed at one point, and then none of them made it to campus. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And actually, two of them, I think, one of them might have ended up playing, but for a period at least, after they after they decided not to go to Iowa State, Dawson and Rogers both quit football. And Catalina actually, I think, worked out okay for Georgia. He's with the Redskins now, so a good evaluation is just that's kind of the, the difficult part about grad transfers is they don't sign a letter of intent where they're kind of binded to the school. They sign a financial aid agreement. And so that doesn't bind them to the school. So they can commit. Other schools can find out about them and try to convince them um, to change. And so I, I do think they'll try to get at least one graduate transfer offensive lineman when all said and done. They really, really like their young guys. You know, we've heard them talk about Robert Hudson and um, Jacob Bolton and Sean Foster is still young and, you know, the only guys they graduate this year, Robbie Garcia and um, Jake Campos. And then next year, I think the only guy as of now they're supposed to graduate is uh, Oge Udegu. So, you know, they're really, really young. But I think that's one reason to maybe go after a veteran is just bridge the gap a little bit, plus give you some depth if you do have an injury like we saw this year with the Bryce Meeker. So I think that's something we could definitely see in, in January. I don't know if maybe it would happen sooner, but maybe uh, by January. So, That'll be interesting to watch, and I think those are pieces that sometimes fans find a little more interesting because they know they're going to have immediate impact. Like a Greg Eisworth, the JUCO safety, fans will see him sooner than later, and so I think he's a little bit more intriguing. I think that's probably true of grad transfers, whereas if a kid's going to redshirt, maybe you don't see them for two, three years. Well, once again, we thank you for for calling in. This is this is great stuff, and. We'll have to catch up sometime uh, and talk some some, bat, some basketball recruiting too. I know fans love, and I, I think what what you said is kind of, you know, there's a lot of there's fans that live and die with recruiting, and, and they want to know everything. You know where a coach is at on a particular day. There, there's some that you say, let me know when when a player's going to commit, and then I'll look at him. Uh, I think for me, it's easier to kind of follow along with basketball recruiting just because there's not as many bodies to to keep track of. You know, when you're talking about recruiting classes of three or four, typically, and uh, with, you can you can transfer and you can see a lot more of their film uh, easily and kind of see what what they're looking at. But uh, let's catch up and, and talk about basketball recruiting sometime as well. Uh, I know our fans would appreciate that. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of fans know a lot more about basketball recruiting. It seems like just because they're going to see them sooner, and like you said, they don't have to pay attention to a hundred plus offers. Maybe just a, a pool of a handful or two at a time so a good recruiting class for them too so i'd love to do that thanks for having me i appreciate it absolutely that was alex halstead from 247 sports uh you can follow him on twitter at alex halstead uh we appreciate him taking the time to come on and kind of talk us through this uh december signing period and where iowa state staff will will be going for it as always we appreciate you listening uh don't forget to subscribe on itunes and go Cyclones.